Bonjour, good evening and welcome to French Football Weekly. It's your weekly one-stop shop for all things French football, as the title kind of gives away. My name is Chris, I am your host, and tonight I'm joined by uh, two of the threesome. Uh, unfortunately, illness has claimed a victim. We're no rich this evening, but we do have Phil. Good evening, Phil. Good evening. And we do have Jez. Good evening, Jez. Hello. Right, uh, thank you both for hopping along. We do, of course, wish uh, Rich the best. Uh, Jez, is it Skyvitis? Is it is it Neymaritis? What what is it? Has uh, he got a got a poor throat, hasn't he, Rich, this week? Well, uh, to be honest, we fell out about who was going to um, be the first to speak today, and we had a bit of a fight. Thiago Silva had to break us up. And, but yeah, the, the important question nasty. is. Did Danny Alves buy you dinner to sort it all out? That's that's the, the key question here. So, uh, yes, we uh, we wish wish uh, Rich the best, of course. Say that when you had a few. That's tricky. Right, enough of the licensees. Uh, let's get on and talk about the weekend that was in Liga. Uh, as usual, we're going to pick out three games. And, uh, Jez, I will start with you because the, the weekend got off to uh, a flyer on Friday. Or it certainly did for Monaco, and it certainly didn't for... Uh, for Mr. Bielsa's Lille. A 4-0 victory for Leonardo Jardim's men. I think I tweeted that evening and said, what Jardim has done with this team, uh, or these teams, I should say, because he's rebuilt uh, Monaco seemingly four times, is quite incredible. And um, they were mightily impressive in this victory over Lille, were they not? They were. I mean, I, they're still. I'm still not sure that they're at their best, but you know, that's to be expected, considering that they've lost Know, four or five of, of the top players who won them in the league last year. And so the fact that at the moment they're they're sort of they're a point off the lead, their stats are actually better than last year. Um, you know, that even the four nil defeat to Nice is sort of consistent with what they did last year is um is really impressive and it makes you think, you know, once they are all used to playing together and it really starts clicking. Can, can they be serious contenders again this year? Um, on on Friday, again, I don't think they were their completely flowing best. And Lille actually had um, a lot more of the possession. But as usual, they were clinical. They pounced on mistakes by Lille. Falcao is just on fire at the moment. And um, yeah, it was a resounding victory. And um, it was particularly enjoyable or not enjoyable, but bizarre to see. Um, I think it's Mark Ingler. Um, he's the one of the sort of consortium with um, Campos and uh, I guess Bielsa, um, saying that he was really happy with Lille's performance because they dominated the French champions because they had more possession, which suggests that despite being at Barcelona for the last ten years, he doesn't really understand football. People with a lot of money owning football clubs, not understanding football. I, I can't believe that for a second. Surely that doesn't <laughs> happen. Um, Phil, there's um, on the score sheet, obviously, for Monaco, we uh, saw Stefan Jovetic uh, mm. net his first league goal on 24 minutes before uh, Gisal and, as, as uh, Jez mentioned, Falcao scoring twice late on to seal the victory. What sort of um, signing do you think Jovetic will be? Because there's been a lot of hype over Kylian Mbappe switch to, to Paris and would Monaco have the goal sort of threat. But Jovetic, is a, he's a proven forward in, in a variety of leagues mm. and he offers something different, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think what's kind of interesting is um, because Mbappe could, would kind of 
was a bit wingy. Um, but what's happened here seems to be that they've stuck to a, a 4-4-2, which in a sense feels old-fashioned, but isn't when you've got that kind of quality all over the place. So the fact that they started with Falcao and Jovetic next to each other was kind of, um, you know, a, an interesting move. And that kind of bodes well for obviously going forward as he settles in and they're fighting on on two or more fronts with the domestic cups as well. I mean, just as, as Jess said, I mean, Lille had, you know, basically two thirds of the possession. There were the, the number of shots was basically the same, but the number of on targets was was significantly different. So I think we saw here that, you know, this was Monaco kind of hitting their rhythm and being efficient. I did wonder uh, at what point have Lille um, started playing three at the back? Is this a new thing? Have I just missed something? I haven't actually seen any football this weekend. I was at a wedding. So um, I'm kind of going on uh, on what we've got from from the reports and you guys are going to be explaining it to me. Is this Bielsa trying another formation just to see if he can get himself out of uh, this situation or... Did this look any more convincing than previous iterations? I think generally his formation seems to be three 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 one. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume just to show the world how clever he is, um, but and possibly that's the problem because he's fitting people into positions they're not necessarily suited to. Like Meyer um, at left back last time, and then exactly, yeah. yeah. And um, I still think Pepe at centre forward is is a waste of what I think are limited in the first place talents. Um, so, yeah, I think he's still, he's still searching for the right, the right formula. Um, and I don't know if his stubbornness is still going to get the better of him. You know, we all keep commenting about him. The fact is that I do think there's a bit of sort of emperor's new clothes about him, but he obviously is a talented coach to a point And it's, you have to think that at some point it will click in some way. The concern is usually his teams sort of set off like a train and then lose steam as as the you know certainly as after Christmas time. Um, so if they're not getting points on the board early and they still follow the rest of his his sort of um, modus operandi, then then there could be problems further down the line for them. Yeah, I mean, they're playing Amiens. Uh, they're away at Amiens at the weekend. So you've got to be thinking, um, you know, that's something where they're going to have to recover in some way. But I'm, I'm sure Amiens will possibly be looking at this thinking they're not as scary as all that. So this could be a an interesting Saturday evening for uh, Bielsa and his chaps. Mm. Yeah, I thought the same looking at that fixture. You'd think that's a pretty good fixture to come into. But I think Amiens will be looking at that, as you say, and thinking, actually... There's a chance uh-huh. of an upset here ourselves. So uh, that will be one that will be worth keeping an eye on. And uh, full praise to Monaco again, as we said, they've cut the gap uh, to one point um, over PSG. Who? Uh, just a, a quick word on on Montpellier for, for you, Phil. It's a nil-nil draw with the champions. Would you have taken that pre-game? <coughs> Hell yes. <laughs> it wasn't the I, best game, but well, as as I said, I was I was at this wedding, and obviously it was uh, former big boss Andrew Gibney getting married to the lovely Catherine. And it was a wonderful event. And obviously there were a couple of uh, other football writers kicking around in uh, in the uh, pre-wedding bar, uh, all trying to get their accumulators together and all trying to work out how many goals PSG would beat Montpellier by um, to put in their accumulator. And I think we agreed that at least two 
was sensible. So, I mean, a nil-nil draw, given how badly Montpellier have played up until this point, is, uh, you know, pretty impressive. But I was looking back at things because obviously they beat them 3-0 last season. Um, so it's like, is Montpellier bizarrely turning into a bogey team for PSG? And just looking back over the last six seasons, they've taken six points. Now, I know that might not seem big, but only two teams have done better at home uh, against uh, PSG. And that's actually Gangon and OL who've taken seven um, over kind of the, the, the last uh, the last six seasons. So, And I think um, Montpellier had a, had a cup win in there as well. So it's just really... I think I read really... somewhere mm. that, that only, only Monaco, and, it's only against Monaco and Montpellier that PSG don't have more than a 50% win record under QSI or something like that. Jeez. And they actually, they beat us at Mosson in the title season. So it's, uh, you know, it was a bit, um, I think we got nil-nil away, but I'm not sure. Um, I mean, just one point to note on this match as well. Captain, leader, um, the Brazilian centre-back who we we all love, uh, Vitorina Hilton, turned 40 about two weeks ago. And he started in the, what I think was a, um, sort of five man back back line um, in in that game he'll 40 years old and uh, keeping He's more tabs, than twice as old as Mbappe keeping keeping tabs on uh, on the champions so yes I, I mean when I was kind of catching up on this later in the evening couldn't quite believe it and uh, I got a tweet from Kevin the wonderful Kevin Williams who said uh, they played like lions drunk lions I'm like yeah I'm guessing it was quite uh, last ditch defending, a little bit desperate at times, but um, did it a was, decent job. It was sort of yes and no. I mean, PSG's best chances mainly came from Montpellier mistakes, but mm-hmm. at the same time, PSG had one shot on target all match. Um, but it does have to be said they should have had two shots on target because can we just take a moment to appreciate that wonderful piece of Cavaniism? I mean, I, that was. That was full Cavani, wasn't it? I was on the the GFFN podcast last night, and I did suggest, and I'm going to say it again because whatever self promotion, I'm proud of this one. Um, <laughs> you know, you've got a Cruyff turn and the Zidane pirouette and things like that. At some point, the air shot has to be named after Cavani. Surely, <laughs> it's got to be <laughs> time and time again. Yeah. Oh dear. And yet nobody ever listens when, when I try and tell uh, some people over here in the UK and say, actually, you know what? Yeah, he's got a brilliant goal-scoring record, but if he took even 60% of the chance he actually gets, he would probably be the most prolific striker of all time. Um, but no so. one listens. No one listens. Um, but, you know, uh, we'll, we'll come back I would to... also just very quickly, again, mitigating circumstances slightly for him are that, um, again, just... As you said, we'll, we'll sort of touch on it later, but the front three were Mbappe, Draxler and Cavani, and I think they exchanged maybe six passes between them all match. And Mbappe was in a particularly selfish mood um, on Friday, on a Saturday, whenever the match was. Yeah. So um, it wasn't all Cavani's fault because he does need service and he wasn't getting any. But still, that air shot. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, look it up, people. It was quite funny. Um, but uh, yes, we will come back to PSG because they're, they're a subject uh, of our, our Grand Debat later on. So we'll come back to that. But um, we'll move on to our other focus games. Um, let's uh, let's move along to, to Bordeaux. Um, Jez, you wanted to give uh, a little bit of praise where due here. Bordeaux winning 3-1 against Gangon on Saturday night. Uh, Francois Camano, uh, Mendy and Jonathan Cafu. Uh, with the uh, the goals there, Saliba with one back for Gangon. But Bordeaux are, are quietly sort of going about their business this season. I can't help but think that it's the reason, uh, or maybe this win was, was because I bought their third shirt, which is delightful uh, last week. So I think it's all down to me personally. But um, shirts aside, they, they've been impressive, haven't they? And they were again in this game. They're up to third this season, still undefeated. One of only two other clubs or two clubs to be undefeated. Um, they look quite smooth at the moment, don't they? They do. They they look hard to beat. They look um, certainly sort of from the midfield onwards. They've got, um, I think, you know, a really decent group of players, talented. Um, yeah, midfielders and forwards. Malcolm obviously is the the player who's absolutely making them tick. He's he's sort of a class above. Um, and no, I wouldn't. I'm not saying they're a one man team, but he's the one that that you know, that provides the sort of moments of magic that can turn games. And, you know, the Lyon match was an example to lose as well, where, you know, without him on the pitch, they probably would have come away with, um, you know, one point instead of four. Um, but they, they're playing some nice football. They're playing for each other. Kamano and Malcolm seem to be combining well. De Preville not quite clicking yet, but I'm sure it will come. Um, you've got players like Mendy coming on and, and you know, he's a very different kind of player, but um, also effective. And, you know, it was nice to see the way he sort of ran into Gouvenek's arms after the, after he scored to, to show a bit more sort of spirit spirit there. Um, midfield, you've got talented players like Vada and Placil, who's obviously getting a bit old, but these are still decent players who, being, who are being kept out of the side at the moment. So um, the midfield's working effectively as well. And I think Costil is an excellent signing. Um, I think he kept them in the game against Toulouse in the first half, and he saved the penalty um, this weekend against Gagon. I think, as good as Carasso was, I think Costil is, is, and his experience and um, talent is sort of providing the foundations at the back for the for the rest of the team to move forward. And yeah, I can see them doing some doing some damage this season. Mm. I mean, we had uh, one of the questions we had in was from Peter Singh, who um, asked if this is the best Bordeaux team we've seen since the 1999 season. And he says, the only problem I see is the defence, but time will tell. And it'll be a test against PSG on Saturday. It certainly will. That's the, the match I've got a big kind of circle drawn around for. Um, you know, it looks like it could be a really, really interesting uh, confrontation. It's at the Parc des Princes. So, you know, you, you, you possibly give you give home <coughs> advantage, but given, um, you know, what's just happened and obviously um, uh, a tricky tri- a tricky match against uh, Bayern tomorrow, um, yeah, that could be a real test for, for PSG um, if uh, Bordeaux come at them because the defence, they've not, in a sense, in, overall done that badly. There's been uh, obviously some... Uh, some big scores against them, the the Lyon 3-3 and, and things like that. But 
you know they've got a reasonably um stingy defense so um will be interesting to see how that game pans out yeah i, think, I guess sorry, sorry go on. no no, no go on I, I was just going to ask you about the, the, the big elephant-shaped Brazilian in the room. Um, I was just going to ask you if you think that that uh, keeping Malcolm is key to the success. I mean, obviously, we've touched on the defence there, as, as Phil said, but is it a case of it, Malcolm or bust? I mean, if he goes, we've seen what a high-profile sort of departure can, can do to a club at, at certain times. Is it key that they can build around a player like that rather than just selling him as they have done in the past with some of their, their best assets? I think they've pretty much said to him, "You can go next summer." Mm. Um, I think he was he was quite quite tempted to leave this summer, and um, Govanek sat him down and said, "Come on, give us one more season, and we won't stand in your way next year." So, uh, in terms of long term plans, I, yeah, I don't think they should be building a team around Malcolm. But if he stays fit this year, I, I don't think he'd go in January. No. And um, if he stays fit this year, then. You know, I, I do think they could certainly not even challenge. I think they're, they're relatively comfortable for a place in Europe, but even a, a tilt at a Champions League place. And presumably, I mean, they've got uh, a lot of good young players that such are coming through. And presumably, if when, if when they do sell Malcolm, presumably in the summer, they would get quite a lot of money for him. So would be able to, um, you know, they've done sensible recruitment in the past. We've seen that's how they got him in the first place. So um, uh, that would suggest that they'd be able to reinvest. And if they did have, you know, the carrot of uh, European football um, to give, to offer to his replacement, then that would obviously be a, you know, another uh, good incentive to have. And of course, if we could get um, the Brazilian sort of centre forward lineup of, of uh, Fred, Malcolm, and Joe, that would be quite the uh, quite the setup, wouldn't it? That's what I'm holding out the hope for. But yeah, fair, fair play to Monaco to, uh, to Monaco to Bordeaux. Got Monaco on the brain tonight. To to Bordeaux. Um, are we all are we all liking that kit? By the way, the the third kit, the pink one. Do we, do we like that or not? Fantastic. I think. It is it is a cracker, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I had to get that in. Sorry. Um, okay, the collection continues. Um, yes, so Bordeaux very much on on a decent run, um, and then that brings us to our final game we're going to cover, which is uh, Lyon, Lyonnais, who've hosted Dijon on the Saturday evening. Um, Jez, this was um, well, it was nuts, wasn't it? This game, absolutely crackers. Don't think anyone really saw Dijon coming away with a point in this game, but that's exactly what they did. So Nabil Fakir, the new streamlined captain, fantastic Nabil Fakir, putting uh, putting Leon in front. Uh, Sleety with an equaliser from the penalty spot. Jacker then put Dijon in front. Aor, who we'll come on to in a second, uh, got his uh, I think it's his first um, first appearance for Leon, first start anyway, getting on the score sheet in the 60th minute. Mara Diaz putting them three uh, two up on 63 just three minutes later before Yambera equalised just two minutes later after that um a crazy 10 minutes and a 3-3 draw what um what do you ever make of it i mean do, do you think this is a sign that that leon maybe still have a coach who's not quite at the level he should be or is it more about the youth and sort of that, that element of it where leon just couldn't close out a game that really they had enough chances to win comfortably um i think it's a bit of both i think genesio is is sort of a bit of a weak link there but I think it's just also the nature of um, a very young team. I mean, with with Depay, who's not exactly ancient, um, not playing, sort of brought down that average age even more. Um, 
and I just think that's it. I think probably what summed up the match possibly more than anything else was kind of on 24 minutes um, Mendy brings down Kwon for a penalty and half an hour later Kwon brings down Mendy for a penalty um, it was symmetry sort of, yeah kind of really end to end and Mendy in a way sums up the match and kind of what I was saying I thought he was really bright he set up the first goal um, with a brilliant run he was unlucky not to score himself but came off the post and Vekir and had a tap in and then yeah four minutes later he gave away a penalty I think that's the kind of um it shows that you know they're very talented, but they're also, um, you know, sometimes a little bit impetuous, mm. um, sometimes just a bit clumsy, possibly from from trying too hard. I still think there's there's a very talented team there, but I think it's sort of growing pains. Mm. Um, and you know, a couple of the the Dijon goals came from really good, uh, beautiful deliveries into the box as well. Um, it must have hurt Lille fans watching to see um, two of their players. I can't remember if they're both on loan or one's on loan, one's signed permanently with Dijon, but two of two of their players scoring for Dijon when, when they've scored one goal since the first week of the season. Um, but Shaka's header was lovely. Um, it wasn't a great defensive performance from Lyon at all, but yeah. They're, they're going to be fun to watch this year. I think uh, <laughs> this you're is. A Leon fan. Well, this is the thing for for the neutral. Uh, they've already had two, three, three draws because there was a, the Bordeaux game as well. So we're saying, yeah, this is this is frantic. This is fun. This is chaos. Of course, the Leon fans would like exciting. Would be fine, but using the word chaos, you know, implies that this is kind of impetuous, inconsistent. Anything could happen. You're never going to be safe on a scoreline, as we saw in the, the Bordeaux match. I mean, here they had to come back um, a, couple, a couple of times, as it were. But, um, uh, you know, it just gives you the sense that, yes, it is a team that isn't quite ready yet to be as consistent and as solid as you know the fans want it to be and the clearly that the manager would like it to be there's still going to be the occasional oops moment and yeah that makes it great for for the neutral but understandably a little exasperating for uh, for their supporters well, his, can, I just, his... can i just say quickly i might be reading too much into this i haven't read it but it's just from what i've seen um, and no one picked up on it, but I think in the, in the, when Leon got their penalty, it looked like Diaz and Fekir were having a bit of an argument about who was going to take it. Mm-hmm. And when Diaz and when Diaz scored it, and all the players sort of bundled in, I think he did sort of point at Fekir to kind of give him props for for letting him take it, which. Uh, which is interesting in the context yes. of also up the road. Pr- presumably all us is going to offer. Diaz, a packet of biscuits to let for kids. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think that's. Um, I, I, I have one question then for you both before we wrap up on on Leon. Um, just a, a short answer from you both. What does it take, or what will it take, for Leon to essentially get to a position where Monaco were last season? Because nobody expected Monaco to do what they did. They came kind of out of nowhere, albeit with, let's be honest, a much better coach than Genesio. We've said that before. But what? What does it take from Leon to take that next step to being legitimate title contenders, if not challengers? What do you reckon, Phil? I, I think it would be a, a better coach. Um, mm. 
I've written that I mean, script for you there. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you can say, you know, another 18 months, but, you know, uh, of age, of experience on all of them, but it is, it still looks iffy. And yes, I mean, it is down to the players being younger, being impetuous, being inconsistent. But you, if you know that's what they're like, you should be able to kind of plan to make that less of an issue, are you? It, that's still something that's kind of Genicio Demission uh, hashtag maybe uh, out again. So I think that would be uh, sort of the natural change. Who they bring in, God only knows, but uh, there you go. Mm. Bielsa, Harry, that would be hilarious, wouldn't it? Harry Redknapp um, is definitely the one in the frame. Um, no, let's just not even think about that for any seconds. Uh, Jez, do you do you agree? Is, is it a is it a coach issue? Is that the the biggest thing, or is there also a recruitment element that's still needed in Leon? I mean, a bit of experience, maybe. Uh, to, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, the team they had last year with players like Toliso and and Lacazette in it probably should have been closer a lot closer to, to PSG and, and Monaco than they were. Um, you know, as, as good as, as brilliant as Nice were last season, I think Neon sh- on paper should have, should have been getting that third place last year. This year they're in transition. They're a young team and, you know, that PSG obviously with the money they've got and Monaco's team from last year was, was pretty special. Um, whether it's by luck or judgment or a bit of both, they had some stunning players and, you know, the amount that they've sold quite a few of them for this summer um, sort of backs that up. Lyon, I think, have got some very talented players. They've got some extremely talented young players to come in, but it's difficult to to see how they can compete with um, PSG and with Monaco as long as Rybalovlev stays and keeps pumping the money in. Um, unless they you know, they really have a sort of um, not a windfall, but whatever the sort of player equivalent of a windfall is, you know, you know, they discover someone as talented as an Mbappe or something like that. And the other thing with Lyon is, you know, even more than those other two teams, they do seem to need to to sell once these players have bedded in and really impressed for a year or two. So I just think they'll struggle to find the consistency of of squad over two to three years in a row to to really challenge but i still think that with the the setup they've got the stadium they've got the chairman they've got um the academy the the money that they do have to invest i think they should be looking at um at least you know third fourth place year in year out obviously you know there's a chance that marseille could overtake the money wise but I think Neon sort of well ahead of Marseille at the moment, and if not challenging for the title, they they shouldn't be as performing as badly as they were last year. Yeah, aiming higher. I think that's that's the key, isn't it? And how they go about getting higher that that's going to be the uh, the subject for a, another time. But um, yeah, good to see um, good to see Leon and Dijon serving up a, a feast of goals. Um, in the league that doesn't uh, produce goals ever, if you believe the media, of course, which we don't. Um, anywho, let's uh, quickly run through the other results on the weekend. Uh, also on the Friday night, uh, Nice faced Angers. Had to come from two goals down, actually. Uh, Pavlovic and uh, Tokoa Kambe had five 
plunge into a surprise two-goal lead, but Balotelli penalty and uh, an own goal from Traore with uh, 15 minutes to go got the level score in that one 2-2. Um, we mentioned Montpellier's draw with PSG is a nil-nil. Can't uh, picking, up, picking up a vital home victory. Uh, Ivan Santini, Santini, of course, who else scoring the winner for Khan at home to Amiens. Um, Jez, shut your ears. Toi with a last-minute winner at home to Metz. Uh, Grosio with the winner uh, deep into stoppage time, and that was 10-man Toi. Um, yeah, I've put the scissors down, Jez. It's no need for that. And uh, St. Etienne. No, excuse, we were absolutely, I mean, we weren't robbed because we didn't score and they did, but we pummeled them all match. Their goalkeeper was amazing, and then they, they got the points at the end. Good for them. It's That's annoying. Right. Yes, yeah. I I tried to be gentle, but you've 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 gone in. You've dug deep. Um, <laughs> Saint Etienne uh, playing out another thrilling game of the weekend. Actually, a two-two draw on the Sunday at uh, home to Rennes. Burigar uh, with the opener for Rennes, equalised by Gabriel Silva, a summer signing, uh, before Wabi Kazri getting Ren back in front and then a uh, friend of the pod, uh, Jonathan Bamba. He doesn't even know he's friend of the pod, but he is uh, with a penalty to equalise on 17 minutes before the uh, previous goal scoring here at Gabriel Silva was sent off in stoppage time. And finally, on the Sunday, Nantes with a 2-1 victory over Strasbourg. Uh, Nuno de Costa putting the home side in front, but goals from Thomason and Dubois, who was uh, subject of a question, I think, a few weeks ago. There you go. That's, that's timing for you with the winner. And uh, Marseille um, uh, very lovingly cost me a considerable amount of money by not scoring three goals at home to Toulouse. Cheers for that, Marseille. They did score two, though, just to annoy me that little bit to more. To be fair, they tried very, very <laughs> hard. They, they did, tried very they? hard not to score those two. Which which made it even more annoying because they sort of <laughs> reeled me in and made me think that actually the bet was on and then they then they just decided to not score a third. So cheers, Marseille. Uh, it's worth bet. looking up Dubois' goal as well. Yes, his, yes. His first ever league and goal, which was just a sort of 35-yard tap-in. <laughs> yeah, as you do. Yeah, 35-yard tap-in. You've got to love those. Uh, so that was the results from the weekend. Uh, a quick sort of glance at the table just to keep you in the picture. PSG and Monaco out in front. Just a point gap now. Uh, seven played, 19 from the seven for PSG, 18 from the seven for Monaco. Bordeaux up to third, 15 points at Etienne and Marseille, fourth and fifth, with Nantes, Lyon, Cannes, Nice and Gangot making up the top ten. Down at the bottom, reading uh, from the bottom up, sorry, Jez, Mets at bottom of three points um, with uh, just the one win from their six played, three points there. Strasbourg just above them on four points with Lille also in the relegation zone on five. Dijon uh, level on points, but uh, slightly above it in 17th with Amiens, Rennes, Toulouse, Toile, Montpellier and Angers reading up to 11th in the table um any either of you guys fancy a game to look out for next week i think phil you said you were gonna have yeah, a little think, look at the Lille army end game um well i think that i'm not actually i don't particularly want to watch it because i think it could be terrible <laughs> but i mean i think it's going to be a really important one for for, for Lille. but as you say um you know amion can be looking at that and thinking hmm. um but yeah i mean psg bordeaux and I'm picking that more for Bordeaux than for PSG, if you see what I mean, because I think that could be a very, very interesting matchup. And then, obviously, Nice-Marseille on, on Sunday evening, finishing up as the, the big match. Now, Nice appear to have found a bit of their rhythm, and Marseille appear to have cheered up a bit. Um, you know, that, that also could be a, uh, a very interesting game. Obviously, Marseille are away at Salzburg on Thursday in their next Europa League clash, so they they'll be busy midweek. But um, I still think that could be a could be an interesting one as well. 
Decent, decent weekend of games actually, isn't it? When mm. you when you look at it, there's quite a few fixtures that uh, I wouldn't say jump off the page, but um, certainly have. Mm. Well, that they're on and the page. Let's put it the, that way. The, there's a couple of, I mean, relegation battle is a silly thing to say at, at this stage, but there's a couple of matchups between the teams down there, not just Amiens Lille, but also Dijon Strasbourg. Um, so those are kind of games where, um, you know, somebody else could pull themselves out of things a bit. Because if you look down at those kind of the lower end of the table, Dijon, if they've started scoring, that's what saved them last season. Um, so that could uh, help to obviously bring them up the table. And obviously, Wren have got a decent decent uh, figure in the goals for column. They uh, just have a less good figure in the goals against column. So um, I think... Uh, the multiplex is going to be interesting because there's two games there that could see a bit of shifting around at the bottom and maybe uh, some distance being put uh, put between them and danger. So uh, that should be just an interesting one overall. Indeed, indeed. And uh, there is also a busy week for uh, French clubs in Europe. Um, would it be fair to say that we're probably all looking in PSG's direction this weekend for, or this week, I should say, for Bayern Munich? Is that probably the game we're all kind of looking at as far as the Champions League games? Uh, yeah, I think um, Monaco's game this evening is, is pretty um, intriguing as well. I think after their their draw in the first match, which I do think is a solid start away in Germany, um, I think they they need to win they, tonight. It's not you know it's not terminal, but you don't really want to be having to go to Turkey absolutely needing a win. So mm-hmm. um, I think I think it's important that, that they get a win tonight. And obviously, there's the kind of added spice that um, this is a repeat of the Champions League final from. What is it like 13 years ago? And but Falcao and Moutinho going back to their old team. So um, there's a couple of nice little sort of connected stories, but I think it also could be a good match. But yeah, PSG Bayern is kind of a little bit more standout than that, just because of the sort of PSG stories of the moment. And you know, it was a, a very good win at Celtic, but they do need to, I think, back it up by putting a marker Bayern aren't in the best of form but I think you know, if they have a good win against Bayern that really um, that says more that's more of a statement than beating Celtic yeah yeah I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that there's the Europa League action as well Phil on, on the Thursday um, again your sort of highlight game or the one that you're probably going to keep an eye on is there any well, that you fancy I think um, looking at Leon wouldn't kind of have to uh, bounce back from a couple of things and they're, they're in the second sitting on Thursday against Atalanta with um, as I say Marseille away at Salzburg and Nice hosting Vitesse Arnhem um, in, the early, uh, in the early match so I think uh, the Lyon game is going to be the one to, to keep an eye on um, just firstly to see what the what the squad selection is going to be um, and uh, you know how that's how that's going to pan out after a slightly awkward uh, situation in their first match Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting group there, isn't it? Atalanta, Leon, and Everton, quite a tough looking group. We shall stay tuned, of course, and touch uh, touch back on these fixtures, I'm sure, next week when they're all said and done. <coughs> 
Right. Uh, we will um, sort of finish the show as we usually do with uh, our interesting uh, Grand Debat, as well as uh, some questions from yourself. So this week, um, we, of course, have to touch on the, the, the situation. Situation, is that even the word? The, uh, the, the setup, maybe, of PSG. What we wanted to, uh, to discuss this week was... When does a, a player um, become bigger than a club? And of course, we bring this up because of Neymar and and such like the uh, the incident that happened last week with the the Cavani spat. Um, Ches, I'll start with you. What what sort of do you think makes a player potentially bigger than a club? Are we entering an era where that is going to become the case because of Neymar's transfer um, transfer uh, cost or the budget that was involved in getting him there? Is that now making him bigger than the club? It shouldn't. <laughs> but um, it's as close a situation as I can think of. Um, obviously, spending $222 million on any one player is putting them in a very special position within that club. But he's still reliant on people who are paying his salary and I think if any of the people above him whether it's Emery or El Khalifi whoever it is if they um showed a bit more balls and you know put him had put him in his place straight away then it would have been clear that no he's not bigger than the club the fact that the, the whole response to the to obviously need to distinguish between fact and rumor but there's certainly enough there to show that there is an issue, and I don't think PSG have dealt with it very well, if at all, um, to date. And so um, it's almost like they're allowing him to seem like he's bigger than the club. I think that's a very, very good point. They are kind of letting him do this or, or letting the the treatment go. What, what do you make of it, Phil, as well? Because, I mean, you know, it's not just Neymar. It'd be unfair to just label it all with him. You've got big personalities in, in Danny Alves. You've got a big personality coming in in Mbappe now as well. Is is this sort of... Are PSG being slightly unfairly unfairly tarnished here? Is there a little bit of, of the um, looking over the garden fence element to this where supporters of other clubs are getting a bit sniffy because they're looking at PSG thinking, oh, I wish we'd have these kind of problems? Or is, is it actually a case that what we've said previously is right, that PSG are, are kind of becoming more than a club almost, to use a Barcelona-ism? Well, I think um, some of the, in a sense, it's the Barcelona history, which may be a big part of this, because we saw that um, the El Pais report talking about the one million euro sweetener and all of that business, which I said, this all bodes massively well. But then other people were saying, yes, it's the Spanish press talking about, you know, Neymar. So you can't take it that seriously. I don't even know if this has been... um, uh, sort of admitted or rejected or whatever from PSG's front. What we we were saying, you know, over the past couple of seasons, to a certain extent, you kind of feel sorry from um, PSG, the manager, kind of having to manage all of those massive egos. You must have thought when Ibra left, oh, great, everything's going to calm down now and everybody's going to grow up a little bit. But no, it's still... <laughs> Perhaps that's, um, in a sense, a function of being that bigger club, that richer club, is that if you've got all these marquee signings scattered all over the dressing room, they're not necessarily going to get on with each other because they're all going to back themselves massively and think they're the best and want to win the Ballon d'Or and thus 
there will be tension. So it's kind of interesting to kind of see if there's um, factions, cliques forming um, in amongst all of this, but how accurate any of these rumours are, as Jess says, we kind of, we don't know. You can just see the, the bickering on the pitch. Um, and that's something where that can happen and then it can all blow over. This doesn't really look like it's blowing over. So then how do you manage that? We've, again, talked about Unai Emery being almost sort of an infant school teacher trying to stop the kids chucking the toys at each other. And he still seems to be having to manage, you know, these kind of man-boy egos while trying to, you know, run a football club and, and win some matches, which can't be uh, sort of massively easy on the multitasking front. So it may be an, a necessary evil, but then you've got to deal with it well. And maybe they're not yet used to dealing with it well, even having had, you know, big personalities in the past. This is, you know, a, a different level of multiple uh, strong personalities all coming together at once. I think um, Neymar's obviously, um, I'm not going to say he's trouble, um, but he he does have previews for this kind of thing. And the, obviously the fact that he's there is arguably, arguably because he he wants to be the number one and doesn't want to be in someone else's <laughs> he's, shadow. He's, he's done the understudy role and maybe thinks, done that, now it's understood, I will be the diva. Which I think is... To an extent, fair enough. fair enough. But penalties, I just think it's a bit pathetic. Like, you're not going to win the Ballon d'Or because you can score penalties. If oh, he wants really? to win, damn it! <laughs> if you want to win, you know, if he wants to win the Ballon d'Or, do it in open play. Set up all these goals, which you know he's he is he's doing. started doing very well. Yeah, I just think it's that that aspect of it. I really do think is childish. I don't know what the point of it was. Um, but I, in terms of Emery, I, I feel sorry I for don't, him now. <laughs> I don't. Like he has a migraine all the time. I don't because I think he's been pathetic. <laughs> I, you know, he still hasn't. He keeps giving wishy-washy answers about the penalty. It's such a stupid situation. I think either he should say to the journalist, "Stop asking me. I'm not going to give you an answer." Or say to the two players, this is who's taking the penalties. Now you both grow up, um, you know, or it blows up and you deal with that. But at the moment, it's it feels like it's him sort of kind of causing a situation where still no one really knows what's going on. And, you know, I've been joking so, the last couple of weeks about Lecky being a PSG magazine. So rightly or wrongly, they are now basically devoting, you know, three or four pages a day to PSG. But Emery's given them a chance to do that because they're they're able to just keep recycling the whole story, the same story mm. by by not putting an end to it. Yeah, and actually changing the a clear answer, then it would it would end things. Yeah. Yeah, um, changing the subject very slightly. I'm also even more annoyed with him at his um, line up against Montpellier. I I can't believe that he's. Motta's 35, and it's no offence whatsoever to Montpellier, but clearly the most important match this week is Bayern Munich. And I can't believe he's still playing. Rabiot, he's got a couple of injury, you know, a couple of niggles. Motta, who's 35, and Verratti, again and again and again. It's still sticking with Draxler, um, who, who's, I think, lost quite a bit of form. They've got. It's not like they've got a threadbare squad. 
And, and um, playing playing Montpellier would seem a good time to you know throw Nkunku into the middle or something like that. You know, it's not like exactly. I mean, you know, one of the rumours from El Pais, whether it's true or not, and this one does probably have a ring of truth to it, <coughs> is that a lot of the players, you know, when PSG realise they're going to off have to offload players, um, PS, the club did seem quite happy to very quickly say right him, him, him and him, they're the ones we want to get rid of. Um, so you can imagine why they're not happy, but they are still there. Why not play them, allow them to prove a point? Um, it will benefit the team, the club. Put a couple of um, million on the price tag. Exactly. Hmm. So some of his decisions really make no sense to me. And connected to that, and I think for me it sort of touches on what we said about Mark Ingler earlier. I still, I felt it since they came in. And, you know, it's nice that he's hands-on and gets involved and stuff. I'm still not sure El Khalifi knows anything about football apart from how to buy players. Mm. Um, and a lot of these kind of battles of egos are pretty predictable, I think. Um, when, you, mm. when you sign players of that size as well, there's always gonna, there's, there is always going to have that element of ego, isn't there? Otherwise, yeah. it doesn't make them the elite players they are, I guess. But, I mean, like, like Jess said, if, if you look at it kind of... If, if we take the Neymar and Cavani as kind of the two main protagonists in this weird Romeo and Juliet situation, or Monty <laughs> Capulet, that's what I mean. Um, all right, so Cavani had to deal with being overshadowed <laughs> by Ibra's presence and thought, right, when he goes, I'll be the main man. Neymar's moved from, from Barcelona where he was kind of in, in accepted being in the shadow of Messi and was like, right, I'm moving, I'm going to be the main man. <laughs> They've both kind of come into this thinking, right, I am now you know, the starring role. It, it's kind of a, one of those confluence of, of, of events things that maybe is just um, making things more difficult than your regular high-end professional footballer ego thing, uh, perhaps. I just think that for Cavani, you know, I'm not his biggest fan <coughs> as a, as a, a footballer but I guess he has bided his time and you can't argue with the number of goals he scored you can't argue really with the, with his penalty record and <coughs> I think the type of personality that he is I'm not sure he does want to be the main man and Neymar shouldn't be threatening him in terms of the fact that they play completely different positions if he felt a bit threatened by Mbappe um, that would be a little bit more understandable that's why I kind of don't understand it. And I do feel like he is a bit of an innocent victim in all this because I think he just wants to get on the pitch, score his goals, take his penalties, have his air shots and go home. And, um, you know, I don't think he's looking to win any Ballon d'Ors or anything like that. I think he wants respect. Um, that seems to be you know, the, the, the impression that he gives on the pitch. Um, particularly, obviously, he doesn't seem to give many interviews or not many that we see in the French press. Um, so if he, uh, in a sense, wants to be respected, if the penalties are important, and clearly to both of them they are, then that would have been seen as, a, you know, a, a dig, a disrespect, maybe more than just the simple fact of, of kicking the ball in the goal, actually getting the goal, if you see what I mean. So uh, Yeah. Well, you know, it's not like he's got a terrible penalty record. Um, it was slightly unfortunate on his part that he didn't score that penalty against Lyon. But um, 
he's the penalty taker. He's not missing them. So there's no reason whatsoever why why he should have the job taken away from him. At the same time, Neymar is kind of entitled to say, you're paying me 200 million, or you signed me for 200 million, you're paying me twice as much a month as the next best paid player, who's Cavani, and that could be a factor in all of this as well, by the way. Um, you know, you want to build the club around me, prove it. I just think Neymar should be should be rising above that kind of thing. I think I'm inclined to agree. I think the one thing we can say is that this will run and run and run. This this whole P- project PSG will just be a question that will come up time and time again. Um, that's for sure. But we will uh, leave it for this week. We'll come back to that, I'm sure, another time. Uh, we will finish with a couple of questions then. Um, what have we got in the mailbag this week, Phil? Well, what we, we've we kind of already covered uh, Peter Singh's question about Bordeaux. Um, <laughs> Tarek is back with another question he wanted to ask, but PSG have offered me 1 million euros to allow Neymar to ask it. He's going to be playing that uh, for a couple of weeks yet, I think. Um, we had um, Snowman and Porton Doc on Twitter asking, is PSG big enough for Neymar and Cavani? And that's kind of what we've had our, our big debate about. Um, so this was an interesting one from Simon Query, Simtam on Twitter. If you were a billionaire and were looking to buy a French team, which team has the most potential? Now, that's one where I'm racking my brains trying to remember who owns the ones that aren't already owned by billionaires. So what do we think? Can I, can I just buy Lorient just to make sure that they're in Liga for, forever? Um, <laughs> no, I suppose you... I mean, I suppose Marseille is the logical one and obviously they got bought, so mm. just because of the stadium and the history and everything that goes with them. Um, I suppose it depends what you want from a, a club you buy. Do you want... Do you want history and, and tradition or do you want uh, the right city to attract the fans to... Or do you want a project that you can build, like a club literally built from the ashes? Ugh, I mean, it's, it's it's a really hard question. Um, I, as far as built from the ashes, ashes suggests you're thinking Bastia. Oh crikey! Now that would be something, <laughs> wouldn't it? But can you imagine that? That wouldn't end well, would it? No, <laughs> just no, wouldn't. No. End also, well. you wouldn't need to be a billionaire. No, um, <laughs> you need a clean tax record, and um, you, know, you you wouldn't need. Uh, that much um, I mean Bordeaux we were talking about earlier look like a wonderful proposition would they be a good one to sink a sink a bunch of money into and try to get them back to that you know domination they had in in the um, in the, the, the 90s in the 80s 90s so it's an interesting one to, to think about obviously there have been um, you know the the big buys we've had recently PSG, um, the Lille change, the OM change. How um, and obviously the the Monaco situation. Bear in mind they were in Ligue 2 when he bought them and brought and brought them up. So is there anybody down in Ligue 2 or other than Chris's beloved Lorient who uh, <laughs> who might want something? Think about it, Love with that academy. Or Saya, Sochaux, maybe, those sort of sides. Well, the Lava Academy, if they kept those players instead of selling them, hmm. which is the current financial model, how, how, how would that work out? You know, if they had a bit of, uh, bit of time to actually 
keep those players and build up with them. That would be maybe an interesting one. If you were a more conservative and forward thinking billionaire, then, you know, you, you regular billionaire. I don't, I have no idea how billionaires think. I'm thinking it won't necessarily make me popular with Mets fans, but I think Strasbourg is quite a tempting club. Yeah, that's not um, a bad shot. With it. Again, the history of, element of things. Yeah, history, really good support, good stadium, um, kind of... Lovely sort of, part of the world. Yeah, oh. good kind of catchment area um, with the sort of extra European aspect close to other countries as well. I think it's, uh, it's a good question, though. It is a good question. Maybe if uh, if you fancy buying a French club, write in to us and let us know who you fancy buying and why. Um, crowdfund. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's get a crowdfund going and we'll we'll all start Bastion all over again. Uh, um, any other business we've got in that mailbag this week, Phil? Uh, no, I kind of one, um, one thing I noticed while um, uh, looking around on the keep earlier, that Kevin Gamero has been is not in Atleti's squad uh, for the Chelsea game in the Champions League tomorrow Wednesday. He's played less than half an hour all season apparently. Um, if you know, there's a couple of clubs looking around for for needing a striker situations, and maybe Kevin might be might be on the move in January. Would that be a an interesting uh, an interesting change to see him back in back in Liga? He would take him at Mets. Yeah, he'd do it. Well, he'd do a job at several levels. You'd imagine. You, so, you'd uh, take me at Mets at the moment. That's best. <laughs> but and trust me, he wouldn't want that. Um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd like to see him back. To be honest, I just uh, I've always thought he was a really good little player. Always, always have. You know, he's not going to be a world superstar, but I've always thought he was a very talented striker. Would always get you goals. It's um, maybe the whole sort of Costa coming back thing is what's going to push him out there. Seems that way, but um, no, I think he'd, he'd come back where he'd well, go. Be being pushed out anyway, so maybe mm. preparation for making a nice Costa shaped hole to drop said yeah. Costa into. Um, apart from that, obviously, we've got um, next midweek, um, we'll be ha- trying to have a look at the Women's Champions League, which is kicking off round of 16 with Lyon and Montpellier, the two uh, French. Um, representatives and then we've got a Coupe de France round the weekend after so 7th and 8th of October so we will be attempting to keep track of the Coupe de la Ligue mm. no, Coupe, Coupe de la Ligue there's, there's Coupe de France in somewhere as well is that the following midweek damn it I think oh really f- yeah I think so it's the confusing time of, of year when when they all happen at once. So we will be uh, attempting to keep track of which cup is happening when and where, and uh, and uh, maybe uh, and starting obviously to, to do our coverage of those as the uh, Ligue 1 teams drop into the Coupe de la Ligue in the next round. And uh, obviously the Coupe de France starts getting interesting as the Ligue 2 teams, I think, start dropping in um, sort of during October. So There's also, I think it's this Thursday that... Um Deschamps announcing his squad for the for the next couple of World Cup qualifiers as well. Right, so we can have the Benzema argument all over again, repeatedly. Yay. Marvelous! Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. 
<laughs> Cannot wait for that. Um, but uh, we, maybe we could spend that week debating it until next week, or just maybe not. But uh, yes, we will. Um, we will do our best to cover all all that and more. Um, and as you say, we've got plenty of uh, European action going on as we speak, which we will endeavour to cover next week. So uh, yes, until then, uh, my thanks too, of course, to Phil and to Jez, and uh, I'm sure they'll both join me in saying uh, many congratulations to Gib. Um, I may not have been around for all the time that he was with the pod, but um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a top man, and um, we have Instagram love, me and Gib. Gib. So um, it's always nice to, to interact, and it's always lovely to see two people really happy. So mm. best wishes to both him and Catherine from the pod as well. But uh, until next week, uh, thank you both for your time, and thank you all for listening. You can uh, follow us on all the relevant uh, areas. Um, Twitter is obviously the main prevalent place you can find us, uh, and of course the SoundCloud page for when we release a podcast, and on Twitter at French FT Weekly. Tweet us your questions or thoughts, and we will get to them this time next week. So many thanks to you all, and we will speak to you very soon. Enjoy your French football.